seat. So glad you're here this morning, and um, welcome to uh, Christ Church. And uh, and we just want to. I dropped my water already. And uh, listen, my name is Brian Beeman. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and uh, I just love this opportunity uh, to teach God's word. And um, you know, when we talk about God's word in our church, there is a um, there is a respect that we have for the authority. Um, of God's word. And uh, we believe here, um, just so uh, you know, um, whether you've been coming for uh, a number of uh, months or even years, or if you're just here for the first time this morning, uh, we have, let's just remind ourselves and proclaim that we have great respect for this book. We believe the Bible is the word of God. It is, um, as the Bible attests, it is breathed out by God. And it is, it is profitable for, for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. And the word says that, that so that God's people may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so my encouragement to you as we head into this fall of ministry that, that you would come with your Bible, that you would even, I would encourage you to consider coming with a journal and, and a pen and, uh, because we believe that every time we take God's word and we open it, that we believe that God wants to speak through it in our times when we open it personally and the times when we open it corporately. And so we want to discern what the, what the spirit of God is teaching us and, and, and what he wants to teach you. And we want our our, our eyes on the word, our mind comprehending, and our ear of the ears of our heart and our life turned towards the Spirit of God. And so this morning, I just want to start by reading the passage that's in front of us in this message and uh, preparing our hearts for it. So I'm just going to read this passage and then I'll pray. Uh, let's start in uh, John 17. If you have your Bible, get turned there, uh, starting in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the word that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled, a reference to Judas. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world." And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This section of, of Jesus' final prayer at the end of this, uh, these parting words are so incredible for us to consider this morning. Let's pray before we uh, jump in. God, uh, your word is precious to us and we believe that uh, these words not only were um, literally spoken by you in prayer over of the disciples before you would um, be betrayed and 
I begin to march towards the cross with all of the punishment and the weight and the suffering that came with that. And God, there is some things for us to learn here that should both inform our prayers and inform our, your heart for us. So I pray that in the midst of all of the messages and all of the things that we can assume and think and believe, I pray that now your word would reign supreme and that it would be the authority under which we uh, sit and our hearts and our minds would be turned towards it, not out of uh, some uh, simply uh, um, uh, authority uh, position, but out of a, uh, a child listening to his good father. I pray that would be the posture of our heart as you teach us through your word this morning. And so we ask that you lead us. It's in Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, I've been thinking a lot about prayer when you're, when you're studying uh, Jesus' prayer. And uh, one of the main reasons why I think that prayer has becomes lifeless in people's lives is because their understanding of prayer um, kind of ends up becoming or defaulting or or, or sometimes just veering towards becoming um, like they're in a McDonald's drive-thru. Like, God, I have an order. Like, here's my list of things I'm really wanting. Can I have, um, I'd really like comfort, joy, an awesome marriage. Can I get a side of obedient kids? And could, you, could I get an extra large bank account? Like it kind of becomes this, this way that um, there's sort of no conversation, there's, there's no real relationship, we're just kind of speaking our request and it quickly feels lifeless. The degree of relational connection is really nothing more than what you have in those passing moments in a drive through But Christ's prayer here is compelling because he's, he's, he's like... You can sense in the prayer and in the observation that he's, he's declaring truth over the reality of what's coming. He's, he's, he's orienting his heart and mind around what is true. He's processing what's happening in his life and in the lives of others. And then he's, as the son of God, remember, he's expressing his dependence on God to move, and his requests are, are others-focused and dependent on God and aligned with God's purpose. It's not a passive prayer. It's not walking through a list just asking for some things that he needs. It's not sitting back but, but seems to be full of life and purpose. He's wrestling with God in prayer for what is ahead for his disciples and what he needs God to do. It's focused on life and purpose. It, as last week's message highlighted, he wants his disciples to glorify God as they walk in eternal life. There's something at stake here. I want to follow Jesus more when I read this prayer. His, his prayer gives us a vision for, for God's mission in your life and in our life together. And what he prayed is still on his heart for the followers of Jesus Christ today. And so the big move this morning as you step back from this passage, as you see something that's flowing throughout his prayer is this, is this idea of mission. And so the big move this morning is pray to prepare for the mission. And what we find in this segment of his prayer are sort of three prayer needs that, that are critical 
to prepare Christ followers for the mission. And so let's just look at them together and, and I pray that what would come out of this would both be an understanding of God's heart, information of how to pray for one another, and I believe that if we can understand that this is God's heart for us and start to pray in alignment with that, that it can actually bring life back to your prayers and your communion with God. So let's look at this first. A prayer need is proven by allegiance to God's truth. You see this in verses six through eight as he's processing through the disciples of whom were given to him. By God gave to me out of the world. Used you, yours they were and you gave them to me. And so what's being proven here? Well, what's being proven is their identity as disciples. And you see in that first passage that um, yes, God's the one that saves people through faith, by grace alone. Don't ever forget that. It's God that gave them to Jesus out of the world, prepared their hearts, opened their minds to the reality of the gospel, turned their affections away from the world to Jesus. And God led people to Jesus, but then they responded to his message, and, and the disciples were proven, established, uh, uh, seen to be the followers of Christ, not by following him necessarily, it was more than that, not just by saying the right things about who Jesus was. Look at the end of verse six, it says, and they have kept your word. Verses seven and eight, they know that everything you have given me is from you, so they have a respect for who Jesus is, and then uh, the words that you gave me, and they have received them, have come to know in truth. And they've believed. It means that the, the provenness of their identity as disciples was coming out of hearing the words of Christ and living out of that truth. Truth is changing the way that they live and it's proving, establishing them as disciples. The first step in preparing for mission is to is we've, we've got to know who the disciples are. And, and, and so the, the question at this point is like, in, even in our prayers, it's like, who is on the mission team? It's disciples that are proven by allegiance to the truth. There's certain realities of, of serving roles in our church, particularly when people are now going to be discipling or influencing other people that we're asking the question, which is right to ask, are they truly disciples? Are they attenders at our church? Do they come and listen and even enjoy the worship and the music and the message and the uh, fellowship with one another? Or are they really living out the truth? And it's proven by allegiance to God's truth that confirms that we are true disciples. And so some of the prayers in mission is God help us know who is, who is with us in the mission. John actually reinforces this point as we've seen numerous times. Stuff we see in the Gospel of John, we see then in the letters that John wrote later. And so look at this in 1 John 3, 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Don't we need that sometime? Like just our heart to be reassured? Like I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And to stand into that and 
He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, so there can be this condemning that our heart can have towards us, but God wants us in, in, in proving our, our, our reality and allegiance to God that there is something that gives our heart confidence. Look what it says. Um, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. That'll only feel more confidence because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. Look how simple it is that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us. You can see our mission, love God, love others, make disciples. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Listen, in your relationship with God, your heart can threaten your confidence. That's why the Bible says that the, the heart is, is, is wicked and, and, and deceptive. And sometimes we can have things that, are, that, that, we, that we hear in our minds that, that condemn us. You are guilty. You're not worthy. You're not good, of, good enough. And we need security in knowing that you are a disciple of Christ. And that you're able to live confidently as a child of God. We want to pray in our church that there would be a provenness by allegiance to God's truth. Because we cannot, and it would be a, a wrong move to, to pray that, that, that disciples would be evidenced simply by giving lip service to God's truth. But that there's actually an allegiance to God's truth. If you grew up in the U.S., you, you heard, if you hear the word allegiance, many of you would immediately think of what? You got it. I had a hunch that was going to come pretty quick. The Pledge of Allegiance, right? Still required in schools in 47 states, a simple pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Day after day the pledge is repeated over and over by thousands of kids in schools. But reciting a pledge, let's be super clear, does not equal actual allegiance. It's lip service. It's, it doesn't equal true allegiance. A, a pledge of allegiance to a country, a pledge of allegiance to a spouse in marriage, or a pledge of allegiance to God means nothing unless it is accompanied by actual loyalty and devotion. Allegiance literally means, the definition means that. It means devotion or loyalty to a person, group, or cause. Allegiance to the truth of the gospel requires more than repetition of a pledge regarding truth about God. It's got to get into our minds and our hearts that, that agreement with right things does not equal or lead to discipleship. And some people find, find the faith wanting or they, they, they approach faith and they, and they give this right affirmation about the things of God and then they're like, well, God's not showing up. Because you've never moved to allegiance to God's truth. Allegiance means the Christ followers have kept God's word. It means their actions and their thoughts are, are being conformed by God's word. That's a product of allegiance. That's the sort of way you go, yep, 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 allegiant. 
It's critical for the mission. So we gotta be a people that as we pray and as we think about our work in the mission, we gotta pray to prepare for the mission. And we gotta look out at the people in and around our lives and in the context of the church and in the greater kingdom of God and we have to say, God, give us confidence before you that is proven by allegiance to your truth. God, let my move towards you always have with it a desire to be conformed and walk in accordance with your truth. Give us a confidence as we prepare to engage in the mission. Sustain our confidence as we, as we navigate the darkness of the world and when we address our own sin and the sin of others, help us to move towards allegiance to your truth. Give us a confidence that we are God's children, known by him, loved by him, and walking as his people. Like, pray to prepare for the mission and the first sort of thing that you see Jesus highlighting here is, is proven by allegiance to God's truth. This will be uh, the first key part of uh, our lives and our hearts being prepared for the mission. And so I want that. I want that for every single person that calls uh, a Christ church home. I, I don't just want you to be here filling up a seat. That's not my heart for you. My heart and my prayer is that you, your life would be established and proven by allegiance to God's truth. So you'd have a confidence, even when your heart speaks against you, all sorts of messages, sometimes influenced by the evil one, sometimes influenced by your own actions, sometimes influenced by the world, but you would go, no, my heart is devoted and allegiant to God and his truth, and I want to walk in a way that honors him. That will prepare us for the mission. Second, is positioned confidently in Christ. You see this in verses 9 through 13. First off, let me just highlight, um, verse 9 can seem a bit harsh. I'm praying for them, I'm not praying for the world. Ouch. Jesus kind of seems a bit unloving there. Not praying for the world. If you understand it better though, it's not unloving at all. The reality is, is that there's only really one thing that Jesus has to offer the lost world. Come to Jesus. And so here he's praying for his disciples. He's, he's focusing on what they need and the reality of what the world needs is that they would be found in Christ. There's no hope if that doesn't change. So, so much of the category of what he's praying here, he's like, listen, um, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for my followers because the world needs Jesus. They need to follow me. You're already following me. So now in a, in a, in, I want to advance your maturity. I want to move you towards mission. So here he's saying, I'm praying for the people who love me and they know my voice. He's like, that's what I'm praying for. Because Christ only gets glory from people who are in Christ. And so then, as you see, as it continues, 9 through 13, his, he sees his disciples in the world, and I love this about the heart of Christ. Throughout this entire uh, a sermon series, we've seen again and again that he feels this crisis that they're facing, that, that now we're in this in a lot of different ways, in, in just like the disciples then. He has kept them, he's guarded them, but he's about to leave them. So he so lovingly is, is asking God to keep them. Leading to his ultimate desire in verse 13, you've got to highlight this in your Bible. It says, I 
but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world, so these literally the words he's speaking right now, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's his ultimate desire is that, is that his followers would have his joy fulfilled in themselves. And I don't know about you, but I, I think that if God is talking about joy, like he understands uh, sustained, true, real joy. Because he's, he's talking about this joy while facing the cross right in front of him. To have Christ's joy fulfilled in you, here's what you need to know. You have to be positioned confidently in Christ. And in Christ alone. You see in, in verse 11 that, that this confidence increases when a person is kept in God's, in, in God's name. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And there's this sense of unity and strength. And we're going to talk about that even more next week. One commentator said the best summary of what Christ is praying is that God would, look at this, keep them in full adherence to his character. Keep them in full adherence to his character. Consider the potential of this statement for your life. Keep them in full adherence to his character. What does it look like if your life is adhering to the character of God? If your life is lived in light of or aligned to the character of God? Let's just let's process this together. I found um, 13 just sort of general attributes of God's character from a, a resource written by Campus Crusade for Christ, a phenomenal college ministry. And uh, here are 13 key attributes of God's character. Let's just, let's just think about this for a little while and let's think about it in light of full adherence to his character. You've got, he's a personal spirit, all-powerful, present everywhere, knows everything. He's sovereign, meaning he's ruling over all things and in control. Six, holy Seven, he's absolute truth. Eight, he's righteous. Nine, just. Ten, love. Eleven, merciful. Twelve, faithful. Thirteen, never changes. I bet that if you listen to every worship song we've ever sung in our church, Every one of them, you could, you could listen to them and go, uh, yeah, that was 257, and then uh, that, that next song was like 910, and, and on and on we could go, right? Because there's something in our hearts that, that, that come alive and begin to sing when we recognize that in singing to the Lord, what we're declaring is, is that because of who he is, because he's a personal spirit, because he's love, because he's moved towards us in Christ, that our lives can literally adhere to his character. And, and, and there, is, there is a reality there that if you want to live in a confident position, if you want your life to be guarded by God and kept by him, if you want the joy of Jesus Christ fulfilled in your life like I want it in mine, then we've got to live our lives striving for full adherence to his character. 
Take, take whatever the heaviest reality and issue is in your life. There is some place where that weight that you're feeling needs to be navigated in light of God's character. Like, like some of you need to know right now that he is personal, spirit, that he's so accessible to you and he wants to draw near to you regardless of what you feel like because of the reality of the decisions you've made in the last day or the last week or the last series of months. That, that he's all powerful and so you bring these things that, that you're wrestling with and he's like, yeah, I can handle all of that. Hey, he's present everywhere that there's no place you can go to escape from his desire to draw near to you, that he knows everything about you. And so why hide when you have a God who wants you to come fully authentic and sovereign? He's in control and holy, set apart, and he wants to make us more holy. What a beautiful opportunity. And he's absolute truth, and I can trust him, and he's going to be righteous at all times in light of a world that so often sometimes we're like, yeah, I think they're going to be righteous. I think they're going to be righteous. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, unrighteous. And, and just, we can trust his justice and he's gonna love us and his mercy is towards us all the time. He's faithful and he never changes. But yet, we still find ourselves straying from full adherence to his character to places in our wrestling with sin where we find ourselves a position confidently or trying to find a confident position in the wrong things. I do it in my life, I know what happens in yours. And Some of you are here this morning and if you were honest, you'd say I'm not positioned confidently. There's things that are guaranteed to threaten your joy and threaten the mission. There's so many examples I could give you, people trying to position themselves confidently in relationships or in, even in the context of the church, it can happen, in work, in money, in health, all sorts of things. And, and these foundations will threaten your confidence. Think about this just in relationships for a second with me. Like, like I, I love my marriage. I'm so thankful for my wife and been married over 23 years and I love her deeply but I cannot position my confidence in her. Honestly, even saying that out loud, it would be unloving to her to do that. But particularly in the context of the church, sometimes we can do those things and I think sometimes unintentionally and find ourselves positioned in a place where the weight of my life is being placed upon another person who can't carry it. They don't have that character. And my wife's pretty outstanding, trust me. She doesn't measure up to that. When we come together not measuring up to that but letting God be the one that we're adhering to, suddenly we find a whole lot of confidence. I think about that with my children. I think about that with my friends. I can't find confidence there. Where are you trying to position your life in more insecure things than God? That is a place for repentance. Repentance is a gracious confession of falling short of God's ideals so that God could lead you to his ideal. Position your life confidently in Christ to find his joy and be prepared for the mission. This is, and and listen, listen, this is the beauty. Watch this. This is the beauty of uh, and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are already positioned in Christ through what Christ did. 
You, you, you can't earn it. It's the beauty of his mercy and his grace. Through faith in Christ, by the grace of God, accessing the power of God, you were, because of what Christ accomplished already, you're declared righteous. You've been adopted. You were loved fully and perfectly. You have received mercy. The walk of faith is a walk by the Spirit of God where I'm now living into, by faith, this is what it looks like, I'm living into the reality of that. And holiness is increased in your life and mine when I progressively live into the reality of what Christ has already done. I don't earn anything. I, 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 I simply step into the reality of what Christ has already done. This is your identity in Christ. Live in light of the reality. Walk by faith. Here, let me encourage us to understand how to pray by looking at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Write this down. This should guide your prayer if you want to be positioned confidently in Christ. Paul gets to this part at the end of Colossians after a wonderful survey of the character and the goodness and the power of Christ. And then it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. You've been crucified with Christ if you put your faith in him. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a really good thing. It's really good for you to be hidden. And uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, looking to the future. And so, what I want to encourage us to do is, I I want this to be a template or a guide for how we would pray for others to be positioned confidently in Christ. Take a person that you, that, that's on your heart, a family member or somebody who's walking with Jesus and you're just like, man, I know that given the requests and the things that are going on in their life that they're wrestling through, like I just want them to, to be positioned confidently in Christ. And you can just begin to pray, God, would you, would you help them to live in the reality that they are raised with Christ, that they have access to the resurrection power, that they would seek the things that are above, that you would get their eyes on Christ and, and, and they would be enamored with you, seated at the right hand of God, and that they would set their minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That, that, that their perspective would literally change, it would influence their thinking and then influence their actions and, and, and help them understand that they've, they've died and their life is hidden. Help them to stop establishing their confidence in things that require that that they care about their life, but instead care less about their life and more about Christ being honored and glorified. And you can see how this can be an unbelievable template and guide for our prayers. I don't just want disciples in followers of Christ to be proven by their allegiance to God's truth. I want them to be positioned confidently. You want a response to the way that that fear and anxiety can take hold of our hearts. Uh, I don't know anything as I've walked through different seasons of anxiety and fear myself other than praying to prepare for the mission and positioning myself confidently in Christ. That's the access that faith gives us and we turn here again and again and again. That's the second prayer need. The third prayer need is this. Protected through sanctification. Sanctification. 
verses 14 through 19. We're praying for this. Jesus prays for this protection because again, he's looked at his disciples and, and he's like, you know what? You see it again here in this passage. Um, the world is going to hate them and the evil one wants to destroy their life. Jesus sees difficulty for his disciples and the but then you, you see this conflict, and I want you to see it in Jesus' mind and heart because it's going to teach you and it's going to guide your prayers. Jesus is seeing that they're going to face hatred from the world and um, the enemy is going to tempt them. And then he's wrestling with this like in the world but not of the world. In the world but not of the world. And you see him going back and forth on this in prayer. In the world is required so that the disciples could fulfill the mission. But he's like, but, but I don't want them to be of the world. Like, like where, where their hearts and their minds and their lives are being formed by the world. So that he wants them to be in the world, but not of the world. If you're in the world, but not of the world, it should be pretty clear why the hatred is coming. Okay? Like, like disciples of Jesus Christ are proclaiming absolute truth it's a call to total agreement and loyalty to Christ. They condemn the world and its fallenness and they expose evil. Um, anyone surprised that hatred's coming? Like anyone? I'm not. I'm not surprised in any way. It's going to lead to hatred and the evil one who's wanting to lead people in the opposite direction are going to attack the people who have positioned themselves as opponents. It's obvious. So how should the disciples respond One option is clearly eliminated in verse 15. Look at it. See it for yourself. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He, write this down. He does not want you to be removed from the world because to do that would violate the whole entire purpose of the mission that we would be a light to the world. Light where there is already light is not helping the mission. Light where there is darkness is helping the mission. It's not a viable option to hide from the world. Disciples should be a light to the world, but not formed by the world. So how does this happen? Look in verse 17 where Jesus is praying, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. This is how you are protected. You're protected from the world, not by being like, I don't know what to do with the world, but, but by, by being changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ. And as you're changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ, you're like, not, not, not tempted by the world. Because this whole, like, Jesus' joy being fulfilled in my life, like, better Taste the world, not as good. Taste what it means to walk with Christ in allegiance and positioned confidently in Christ and, and protected by sanctification. I'm like, I'm in for that every day of the week. You're protected through sanctification. You're protected as you're transformed into the likeness of God, not the world. But please, church, please, notice the purpose of the protection. The purpose of enduring the hatred, the, 
the, the purpose of the sanctification is for the light of the glory of God to be reflected more brightly from your life and my life to the world. As you engage in the mission of God, don't take verse 17 and pull it out apart from verse 18. Look what he says. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He makes your path on mission parallel with his path. That out of his love he was sent into the world, willing to sacrifice, willing to face the hatred, willing even to be killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he brings your life right alongside that as disciples. Too often, the church is getting so confused about the purpose of sanctification. And if we're honest with ourselves and the tendency of our own heart, sometimes people draw near to God so that they can retreat to comfort. I have my church friends. It's safe. God is good. I'm comfortable. I'm going to kick my feet up. I'm just going to chill over here in God's peace and mercy and goodness, just over here proclaiming just a light amongst a lot of bright lights until my life is over. Or some seem to rush to the, like at times I have, to the protection of sanctification because they're fearful. That world is scary. Have you read the headlines recently? They seem to be reinforcing fear, but I just keep listening And like, they hate me and the world is bad and it's dangerous, it's full of temptation. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna gonna rush over here to my little, little, I'm gonna create a guard with the gospel and the the truth of Jesus Christ and we're just gonna, I'm gonna get all the people that I love, like come out of the world, come out of the world. We don't wanna be in the world because it's so scary and you're gonna be tempted and influenced by it and it's dangerous and so I'm gonna rush to the safety that God provides. Everybody come over here, we're just gonna hang out together. We're gonna create some really tall walls from the world, and I'm just going to escape and stay over here. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. If you truly understand the heart of God, if you truly understand the heart of God to you, you know that the redemption of God's people with the truth of the gospel, you know that comfort can never be your purpose. Staying in a posture of fear will never be acceptable. The purpose of protection is, is not so that we can just know more truth. It's not so we can just, we can just like chill in Christian community as if that's the end. It's not to, not to be like, man, at Christ Church, we, just, we, go, we, got it, we got it down, we got the truth down, we're trying to build up our people for the purpose of just insulating ourselves from the world. The purpose is to be sent into the world. And some of the deepest sanctification and change and even its true adherence to God's character is going to come when you are pressing into that and realizing how much more you need to be like Jesus. to be sent ones, to embody Christ so the world can see and know, yes, you're going to be hated, and yes, the evil one will tempt you. But into that also what you'll do is you'll begin to proclaim the truth, and some will hear it, 
and receive it and put their faith in Jesus Christ and and be miraculously saved and baptized and welcomed into the church of Jesus Christ and then sent back into the world. That's purpose. And so I asked the question this morning for you and for me and for our church collectively, is the church leading people to find protection through sanctification for mission or protection for safety and comfort? And, and, and then on top of that, let me just challenge our parents today. Parents, are you, are you leading your children, this next generation, to find safety and comfort or be prepared for mission? Because truth that transforms you increases the brightness of the gospel message into your life so that your life can be on display to the world. And Jesus says in in the Gospels that you don't put a lamp under a basket. You don't hide it under your bed, but you put it on a stand so that it can be a light to the world. Some of you have isolated yourself from the world. You're technically in it, but you have no access to it. Maybe because of fear or comfortability or laziness, your light is shining around other lights, but it's not shining in the darkness. There's lots of, there's lots of sticky ways that I could summarize this point. Set apart from the world in holiness to show to the world the Holy One. Sanctified to be sent. Purified to proclaim. The truth of Jesus embodied to talk about Jesus with anybody. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care which statement even you need this morning to let this message stick onto your hearts, but we have to process and apply this to our lives. We have to be challenged by this. This is God's heart. Let your prayers for one another align with this heart. I'm challenging us and our church to think about our our position in the world, not to be of the world, but in the world to proclaim the light more brightly. I believe there's some of us that need to reorient our thinking about how we even think about church and our expectations, that we come here to get filled up. We come here to remind ourselves that things are true. We come here sometimes to like add a little extra energy to the brightness of the bulb of our lives so that we can be a light to the world. And then we go out in our weeks and our days thinking about the lost world. Christ's prayer should direct your prayers Are you praying for God's mission or possessed with your own? God's plan or your plan? So let me encourage you this morning in light of what Jesus is praying here that we would be a people that are praying that we'd be prepared for the mission. Proven through allegiance to God's truth, positioned confidently in Christ and protected through sanctification. It's a powerful witness to the world. This is on our hearts. Pray for this to be confirmed in every covenant member at Christ Church. Pray for this in the life of every ministry leader, especially parents, your ministry leader. Pray for this in the next generation. Pray this is distinctly woven into every part of what we do as a church. And I believe that is one of the things that God is doing so clearly right now. Let's pray together. God, you have confronted us with your word in a way that is um, uh, clear and as I can see on the hearts and in the faces of the people gathered this morning that there is a, there is a distinct challenge. There's a distinct challenge in this. 
For some, God, I, I believe that there is a, a place that they have sat that just is comfortable. And we wonder why our, our, our prayers are lifeless. There are some, God, that have been hurt deeply by the world. And more than, more than that person knowing my compassion for that, I pray that they would know your compassion and your love and your mercy. I pray in Christ and in Christ alone that they would find themselves positioned confidently so that, so that, protected through sanctification, so that their light could move out of already lit places back into the darkness. God, stir us up with great encouragement towards each other. Let us pray in this same direction that you prayed and God for some they are in very very dark places right now in their workplace maybe in their schools let it shine bright God let there be a compelling reality of mission that would align us with your purpose and let your joy be fulfilled in our hearts and let that be seen to the world Teach us, train us in this, God. Lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.